I've, I've been asked to just say a little thing just to open up. And the thing that has been continually coming to me is to occupy till I come. And um, when I looked up the word occupy, it means to transact business, to continue to transact business between you and our God. And uh, that that is the, the narrow way. That is the place where we're going to all the other things are going to fall away. And when you keep transacting business, you keep going back to the man that's got the plan, the man that's going to do the work, the man that's going to help you all the way, then that's where you're going to get some action. That's where you're going to get see the power. So there is a temptation to stop and to call it. This is the, this is the time. or It's over now. I'm done with this. Or, Okay, but really the real task before us is to combat that and to continue and to be continually persistent in whatever God shows us to pray for, to bless, to fight for, to not stop. That is it. Occupy. That's what occupying means. Till I come. Let's gather then.
Thankful for the Lord's presence during praise. I've noticed that it's never an issue of the Lord being willing to move and ready to move. It's a matter of me being yielded properly. There's never a bad service in the Lord's eyes, right? Never a bad day, never a bad opportunity. Thank the Lord for that. Aren't you thankful the Lord isn't like us? Boy. A couple weeks ago I woke up and I realized how thankful I was that his thoughts are... I've always known they're higher than mine and they're not mine, but I'm really thankful that his thoughts aren't mine or we'd be in real trouble. <laughs> if his thoughts are your thoughts and my thoughts... Some bad days would be really bad. I'd like to talk about uh, the work of faith tonight and the inner man. And the work of faith really is a, a, a matter of growing up into Christ, as we know. But I have... Uh, <clears throat> Turn to Ephesians 3. It says that anything that is not of faith is what? Sin. Yeah, have you thought about that? Anything that is not of faith is sin. It's not like there's things that are of faith and then things that are not faithful and then there's the sin things. It's whatever we're engaged in, if it's not of faith, it's dead. It's just those are the those are the two options. And I've just been uh, overwhelmed the last week or so with the realization that every single mode of operation as we come into Christ, as we are woken up at different stages into the realization of who we are to be and the level of grace that has been shown towards us to become who we're called to be, that Every aspect of that operation is an aspect of faith. And I think that, uh, I mean, since I was a young kid, we, we've heard about, Brother Bill has done a good job talking about the operation of faith. But it really is, uh, the, the mode of this world really is in absolute conflict to the mode of the kingdom of faith. Everything about the way that I was born and naturally uh, designed, which is by God himself, is at odds with a life of faith. Everything I would like to script, to design, to plan, all those controls. I like to put controls in my life. A well-run job has good controls. You need good controls. I'm not telling you to throw out controls. You know, you working with some of our family to have good controls to wake up in the morning at proper time and controls to go to bed at the right time, you know. <clears throat> Good jobs need good controls. God is beyond all of those controls. And all of those controls that I, that I feel comfortable in, uh, they reveal to me a greater need to be moving into the new man, which is a, the work of the inner man is moving out of the zone of controls. Everything that God does in my life is, could be classified as out of control. And most of those things I like to be in control. He forces me into things that are out of control. I think what we heard this morning, for those that did miss, it was a very, very clear line on dependence. But I'd like to talk about, about that. I, I'd like to be 
independent. But here in Ephesians 3, this is just a packed section that we know well, but I want to take off on this. In verse 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. There's no lack to be strengthened with might in the inner man. That is what God is about. And then jumping down to 19, and to know the love of Christ was passage knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. These are, this is not what I said. This is what Paul says here. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory. God is entirely focused on the work that is happening on the interior, the work in the unseen realm. It is a great deliverance to take a people out of the realm of the seen, the realm of the tangible, the realm of feelings in the soul realm, to move us into a realm that is the realm of the invisible, the realm of faith, the realm of the inner man. But God here, he says, Paul says, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, and he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'd have to say that I've set my expectations too low in a lot of areas. Sometimes I just like things to just go just normally well, you know, just I like the week to go normally well. No crazy things, no, nothing, you know, no great losses, no things that are unplanned. But the fact of the matter is that that doesn't grow a man into a man of faith. That doesn't bring me forth as a man of faith. The, the day and the week going normally doesn't grow me into a man of faith. Every aspect of what God is doing is to, is to grow out of that. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with the fact that God is patient enough in his schooling to shake things up. We'll take a look at this, but he's in the business of just stripping away all of the externals. I'd like to tell you that I'm, I've grown to a maturity level where, the, where how the job is going doesn't really you know, affect the inner man. And it does. And it reveals to me that the inner man must be growing. I was, I was telling Ben today that we we're working on a project that we're a joint venture with uh, another partner. And uh, this one project, we have a partner that, that um, trying to say this the right way, but it's almost as though they're not aware they're a partner on the project. Like we get 50% of the, process of the, of the uh, profits and they get 50% of the profits, you know? So the goal on this project is to make money. So Anyway, it's just been one thing after the other that has been just, just beyond frustrating. It's just gotten to be about humorous. But I finally realized today, talking to this, this partner on the phone about another, another conflict that, that uh, did not go in our favor, but um, that it, he really wasn't operating <laughs> as a team player. It just became evident that he was just operating independently. You know, like all of the calls on specifications, on uh, design, on... Uh, conservative engineering are were governed by a, an independent outlook, if that makes sense. I'm trying to be a little bit vague here, but uh, you know, there you you actually depend. I depend uh, on a little bit of pride to operate in the world of construction. If a guy doesn't have pride in his work or pride to be driven, the job does not go well. It's just you know, the it's it's unfortunate, but you actually depend on a guy taking pride in his performance, pride in his work 
to perform. You want him to be driven to perform. You want him to, you know, we can't expect all the other people that are working for us to think just for the team, but we actually have, we have a, a gentleman at Fairbanks that does an amazing job of thinking for the team. His name is Frank Torres. Um, I can say his name because it's, it's a piece of good news. But uh, Frank is, Frank's a great guy. I love him to come here sometime. He's just a huge, terrific guy, all Alaskan. Came from Miami, I've probably said a few things about him, but he really is uh, working on, on superintending our jobs in Fairbanks so that we don't have to be there, which is fantastic. But um, Frank is actually, he's very good at the big picture, and he's, he's so well um, acquainted with looking at the big picture that he really is very good at avoiding getting caught up in the knots of the small details to his own hurt. It's really amazing. Frank, Frank does things that keep the project for heritage contracting moving forward. He, he wants the customer to, to be represented well by heritage contracting. It's really quite a thing. And, uh, and you find a lot of guys that just their personal uh, knowledge of the specifications, their personal knowledge of whatever it is, electrical, structural, mechanical, they can, that rises to the top uh, in front of the team a lot of times. And when a person is representing themselves, the team suffers. It's just very simple. When a person wants to put themselves out there, and it's very simple, when you're in an argument, when you're in a conflict, when you're in a, um, any sort of issue, uh, your team, it's easy for a person to leave their own team behind to justify their position. It's amazing, it's, it's, and there's some very smart people in construction. Um, it can happen on the Army side, it can happen on the private side. But Frank does an amazing job of swallowing his pride. Frank is a very knowledgeable person, but he doesn't mind just swallowing someone that's telling him things he already knows, telling him things you know, that he's done many times before, but he wants the job to succeed, and that means that he's there to take care of whatever is most necessary. It's a really amazing trait, just to see that right now, I could, I'm, I'm eating humble pie, but for the team, it's a win. I, don't, I just need this person from DPW to buy into what we're doing right now. I'm willing to say whatever is needed to be said. I'm willing to apologize for a sub that did a stupid thing, even though I wasn't involved. I have to keep this project moving forward and represent heritage to the customer, right? That's the end goal. It's, it's just, it's a very rare thing. And we have, and as I was referencing before, we have a partner that is working on the other side of that. <clears throat> but everything about what is being done, it is being done in a very physical, controlled, climatized, uh, you know, law-driven confine of this cosmos. That is the way this world is going, very much so. In the, in the atmosphere of faith, in the, in the planetary system of faith, all of those things come in conflict with the way that God is looking for us to happen, to, to move. Because God is looking for people that are aware that we don't know the way to take. They're aware that we've been actually created to be completely dependent on a, on a God that knows where we're going, that we don't have anywhere, any, any knowledge of the way to take. That's, that's completely against the way that we were born to go. Everything about it. But the, in, the, in the growing up into Christ, there is a requirement that we come to the realization that, Lord, I, I just, it's an awareness. I've just found that I really want to have an awareness. It doesn't work just now during church. It's gotta be during the week. An awareness that, Lord, if I'm not checking myself, looking to you, dependent on what you're doing, I'm just, I'm just operating as a mere man. I don't want to be here for 20 years operating as a mere man. It's not okay to be getting better operating as a mere man, not getting faster, not learning the system better. It's a matter of being more dependent. I should be realizing every day that I know that I don't know the way to take. That's, that's, that's making progress when you realize, Lord, I almost just depended on my own judgment again. 
I don't want to do that. I almost just spoke something to somebody without actually saying, Lord, what do you have for this situation? Turn to Hebrews 12. I mentioned a bit of this. Um, because when you look at the way that the Lord is shaking things up, if you haven't noticed, and I don't recommend reading the news every day, but it is good to be aware of just the absolute weirdest talk in the boat on the way down of just um, some, of the, some of the crazy things that are happening um, that you never would have guessed. You know, you never would have believed we'd be in this position. Um, but what is, what is a fact is that none of the crazy things that are happening are beyond the control of what God is allowing to happen. God is in the business of revealing something, and he's revealing that if you're not hidden in Christ, if we're not running to the rock, if we're not realizing that we are in a desperate place without any knowledge of where to take, but turning to God, we're in big trouble. This, this global system is headed in a, really, in a really problematic way, and it's not like people are running beyond God's control. If you look through the word, like Jesus came to the earth in a time when the Romans were running his own people. Like, you know, it just, God doesn't mind letting a lot of madness take place for his own people. That's what he's, he's at work in the inner man. None of this stuff, none of, you know, you can, I can read an article and I can get very stressed out in a very short amount of time that things are going out of control. Where is it going to go? You know, really prayer and keeping my heart right is about the only response that I can have. I mean, there's, there's things we need to speak into, but... The Lord himself is very aware of who's, who's president, what's happening in Canada, what's happening in England. There's none of those things that are out of his purview. But it does say, seeing that all these things take place, what manner of man ought you to be? That is what the Lord is after. Anyway, I want to look in Hebrews 12 here, verse 18. It says, and it's referencing what happened to them. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, this is, what, this is what the Israelites faced, right? And they said, oh man, uh, we don't want to go deal with that God. Moses, you go talk to him. But ye are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than things of Abel. See that ye refuseth not him that speaketh. For if they escape not him who, re who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. This is what's taking place. This shaking is happening in the heavenly realm, not just... And you're seeing the out, you know, what is happening, the outfall in the earthly realm. And this word, yet once more, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Isn't that a good thing? Boy, what I've realized is, if I'm going to be operating in the kingdom that is being shaken, I'm going to be shaken with it. It's, and, and the Lord allows us to, to see you know, you got a foot on a little bit of the wrong foundation here. That's the, that's, that is what I'm shaking. Anything that can be made that is, that is, uh, that is going to be shaken will be shaken out. And then it says that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Boy, when things hit the fan, it is revealed what cannot be shaken. And I, boy, when you, when you meet, when you run into what the Lord is doing in your heart, when you finally come to grips with what the Lord is after and you realize that the Lord has been patient with you on something and he stayed after something, 
realize that you're getting something that cannot be shaken. There's no economical, there's no geopolitical, there's no physical malady that can infringe upon the kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is the realm of faith. It is, it is unfazed. It, it is above everything of this cosmos. It just, and it happens on such a practical level. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us has, have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I would like, sometimes, I'd just like the shaking to stop. You know, just, I'd like, I don't like the job to be shaken. I don't like things to be shaken, the schedule to be shaken. I want them to go well. You know, we're working hard for things to go well. And it's like, I find myself like, you know, it's like you're trying to keep all these cats in a bag and they're bouncing out. And the harder you try, the worse they get. And you find that the Lord himself is the guy that's shaking the bag, right? You know, it's like, this is called striving. This is called me doing my own works. I can work harder, I can work longer, I want to put more controls on things, but actually, that is, that is the antithesis of leaning on the arms of an everlasting God and saying, Lord, I feel this week that I've just been striving. I'm going home stressed about things, you know, we're, this job could have been done a month ago, this is, why is this happening? You have to get yourself into a different headspace of what God is after. There's no peace in the realm of the cosmos of this world. There is no peace. There is only left to be striving again tomorrow to, to, to run the rat race a little faster than the day before. And there are men in that rat race running hard and making good money as fast as they can. And the minute that they take the foot off the throttle, the next guy goes past them. You know, it's beast eat beast world. There's no peace in that world. There is only peace when you stop and realize, Lord, I just, I, I remember on Tuesday, I said, I, I wonder, I was driving down the road and I thought to myself, I wonder if I'm just fretting about the things that the Lord is fretting about or if I'm totally missing it. You know, like if you're concerned with things all day and you get home and you realize when you get quiet, then the Lord tells you, have you thought about this thing? And you realize what was consuming you during the day wasn't really what he was after. He's working on a whole different realm. This is, you know, and, and when the Lord is kind enough to kind of bump your nose into something and wake you up, you're like, Lord, thank you. You know, thank you. I, Please do what it takes, you know. I'd like it to be just a soft turning, you know. My hand is supposed to be in the, you know, like rivers in the hand of the king, right? That's when it goes well. It doesn't have to be, you know, like the hammer, like it happened to Saul. Saul was glad the Lord, you know, knocked him off his horse. It took, took that. Okay, that's great. But, you know, it shouldn't take the lightning blaze every week, right? There should be a, a softening of our heart to say, I have a sense, Lord, that you're not, you know, you're steering me somewhere different, <laughs> somewhere different here. You know, what is... If your peace is gone, it's a good time to stop and say, Lord, what, what are you after with me? What are, what are you doing in my heart? I feel like I've been struggling in the cosmos of this world, not living in the land of faith. Lord, please move me over. You know, sometimes I just like close my eyes on my computer and just, can it all shut off for a minute? Lord, what are you, you know, what do you need? What's a phone? I'm, I'm on the phone all day. And sometimes I'll know that I need to call this person. And I get like 13 calls. And then I come to dinner time and I haven't called them. Just like... Lord, please stop me and make me aware of the things that you want me to be aware of. I want to be aware of these things. I want to take a look at Rahab, the, uh, <clears throat> the receptionist, right? I think, uh, I think since Uncle Ron brought his famous opening, I'm, I'm able to call her the receptionist. Uh, I love that. I, um, some of you missed that opening, I can tell. But Uncle Ron said, you know, what a calling as a receptionist, if you look at her occupation. Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, he was... Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to ask yourself, 
I'm not pointing fingers, but what were the spies doing there? I don't know. We're going to take a look at that. I don't know that that was the only place available on the wall, but they made it to Rahab's house. Thankfully for them, she was not the usual receptionist, and uh, things went well. <clears throat> but uh, this, this lady, amazing. I love it. I love this. I love this lady. She just, the more I've been looking at it, the more I'm just like, Rahab is in the lineage of Christ. You know that? I mean, God is out of the box, you know? Let's, let's see who to put in this lineup, you know? I mean, let's put David in there. Yeah, he's kind of a crazy guy. He's going to murder and do this. Yeah, that looks like a good one to have right in the lineage, you know? How about we need a harlot in there, you know? Yeah, let's pick Rahab. I mean, you know, this is just... You know why she's in there? So that you and me can relate to the fact that God is working with people like us. You know, I think I read on Monday that T. Austin Sparks said, it's good to be aware of the fact that left to yourself, you're capable of the very worst thing. I'm like, I've read some of the stuff about, you know, the concentration camps. But when you separate yourself from Christ, there's no, there's no end of the black hole of depravity. Maybe it comes in the cynical pride of your life. But any of those scales, separated from the, the faith of Christ, that's where you're going. It's good to know that. Maybe you have grand aspirations as a, you know, as a graduate or whatever. But separate from Christ, there is no hope for the grandeur of mankind. It can be polished. It can look good. But... Pride or scumbag, it's all, we're capable of all of those things. And the Lord is in the business of redemption. Thank the Lord for that, because everything, He reveals to us the need of our hearts so we can realize, man, I need to take another step into faith where I, where I actually take hold. Zero, zero to do with what I can do. Zero to do what I have brought to the table. It is entirely what God has called me to, what He has given to me as a gift of faith, and the work on the cross that I am able to be here, a part of what he's doing. Nothing to do with me. And it's good to remember that when you blow it. Because when you blow it, you kind of think like, well, if I'm doing good, I'm, you know, and if I'm doing bad, no. It's a total dependency on the work of the Spirit. That's what he's after. He's after people of trust. So I was telling you about Rahab. Turn to Joshua 2. This is, this is, just, this is just great. And I want, to look at, I want to look at Achan. There's something very significant that is similar about these two stories. About They're right together. About Achan and about Rahab. <clears throat> and uh, it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll try to keep it condensed because I have one more story. And I know that my kids don't like me making stories go on too long. But this is, uh, we'll pick this up in verse 8. Right? Everybody knows we're getting ready to take the land. Um, and... They come to the receptionist, uh, verse 3, you know, they're there. The king gets word that these men have come to her, and the woman takes them and hid them, right? I mean, this is, my, we're going to get to realize here that something else is going on with, with Rahab. Um, and it came about, in verse 5, about the time of shutting the gate when it was dark, that the men went out, whether the men went out, I, she's reporting to them, right? Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. She puts her life on the line for these guys immediately. But she had brought them up on the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued them as uh, the way to the Jordan of the fjords. And as soon as they which pursued them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men. Now, this is amazing. Again, we're talking about a harlot. The whole town of Jericho is going down. We know this. 
And there's one harlot that is aware that something else is going on. It's, it's amazing. What, what happened? How did this girl get news and think about the news differently? Because everybody got the news of what's happening. But there's something sparked in her heart that, that reflected on this differently. And she said, uh, yeah, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. There's like a little, there's a little sermon going on by Rahab the harlot here. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Now, this is what everybody's feeling in the town of Jericho, right? Hearing this news and hearing that someone's coming, that these things have happened to, I get it. Everybody's hearts are melting. But not everybody has gone further with this. Then she says, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. What in the world? Like, who is ministering to Rahab the harlot in Jericho? You know, I don't know. I don't think any Bible studies are going on. But she, yeah, exactly. You find the eternal line coming through. It lands wherever it wants to. It doesn't matter that we're going to stop at the house of the harlot tonight. I got an, I, you know, the Lord's plan was that this lady was going to be part of what was going to happen. You know, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Nobody was around to talk to this lady. Nobody. This is, you, you just see the eternal work of God. He's going to get his message to whoever he wants to. This lady, obviously, was at the right place in the right time with a heart that was somehow open in the matter of what was going on. I imagine she realized, I've got an occupation that is, I, I, you know, pride is not, you know, I know that I have blown it in my life. My line of work is not an upstanding line of work. Uh, something happened with her. Maybe she had a desperate night of coming to the end of herself, but whatever happened, when she heard this thing, she had a different response than everybody else. Now, therefore, I pray unto you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show me kindness unto my father's house and give me a token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. So we know now that Rahab did what she was told and that they came and they, everything worked out. Jump to chapter six. <clears throat> this is... This is just great. We know what happens. They put the cord in the window right, and I won't get into that right now. But uh, so they work. They go around Jericho. You know, verse 20, the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, right? They're getting ready for the wall to come down. It's, <clears throat> everybody's going down. <clears throat> but Joshua said to the two men, this is verse 22, that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house <clears throat> and bring thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab. Now, if you think about the scale of the city of Jericho, and they go to this house, this is just awesome to me. And they get, no one else realizes that the whole town's about to go down, but these spies come in, and they brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, all that they had. The faith of Rahab didn't just save her, it saved her whole household. This is incredible. They come marching out with the spies. The only people, literally the only living people to come out of the city is Rahab. And she saves her family because of her faith. That's incredible. 
This is what God is in the business of doing. If you have had a day that has not gone well and you bump into somebody, it doesn't take a sermon, it doesn't take something, but maybe you find someone with a response or you find someone with a question or with just an attitude at the table that is, that is different, that is operating in a different kingdom, right, than you have been absorbed by during the day. Maybe you've just brought the job to the table. But we are here together to help remind ourselves of what we're doing and where we're living. That we're not actually citizens of this world. We're citizens of a different country. There's a lot of struggle and strain and sweat and real things that happen in this world and real pain that is real about this world. But the fact of the matter is, part of the gathering that we do is to minister and to be Christ to each other. That's what's happening. That's what the outflow that God wants, that God has purposed, that God will do, is that he is growing up Christ in people across the globe that we don't even know about. I read today about, about India, about the, the you know, Christians that are suffering in India. Just awful. It's, and, I, and I had to tell myself, you know, the Lord's aware of what's happening there. There's some saints over there that I don't know, but they're working in the environment that they're in, and God is working perfectly in their life. There's no lack. We just read abundantly of beyond what you can ask or think. There's no confinement to the capacity of God and the kingdom that we're becoming uh, citizens of. It's amazing. So on the other hand of this, we're going to look briefly at the bad news, but in Joshua 7... We all know that, that after they took the whole city, things are cranking along. They've been taking all the Amorites. They've just knocked down the city of Jericho. We're just going to run up and blow through AI really quick. We're going to send these guys up there. Bam, they're totally, their feet are taken out from under them. One guy, right? A lot of people suffer from one guy. And in verse 6, Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face, right? So then they, they, take, they, they take up lots and everything. Anyway, the Lord reveals that it's Achan. I, I want to get just to this point. Go to verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent. This is Joshua 7, 22, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and they brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel, and they laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan by himself. This has always bothered me as a kid. Took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep. Whatever was happening in the house of Achan was not good, right? Again, this is just, you know what Achan did? He was just operating like a mere man. He just, I just saw this, and I saw that it was a goodly garment, and I saw the gold was, why would we waste this stuff? And he brings it, puts it under his tent. And the whole camp, it really matters what we do in our personal life. It really matters. We are, we, are, we are responsible for our own soul. But God, in his, in his economy, the family of God operates together. You know why? Because it's Christ. The whole thing is one, it's one life. It's one uh, manifestation of who Christ is. We have a great effect on each other. I was thinking about the practicality of all of this. <clears throat> and, you know, we're, we're moving away. And I'm, I'm thankful for this. I have no complaints about growing up. I wouldn't. Probably wouldn't have changed much. It's, it's great. Um, you know, I think those were all things that happened for a different time and a uh, different stage of what was going on. I think the Lord was in some of those things, and we're changing some of those things. But one thing that I know that I don't want to uh, come to is we don't want to make decisions just for convenience. There's a difference of being led of the Lord and just because how convenient could things get? Well, 
I'd like to sleep in every day, you know? I mean, like, is there a day that I, this is a really, I'd like to wake up early tomorrow. It's a good day to wake up early, you know? Let's pick Tuesday for the day to wake There's not a day that I'd like to wake up early, you know? There's not a day that I'd like the food to be worse or the job to go bad. None of those things. I'd like as much convenience as I could get. And we have, we're blessed amazingly. We just are. I was, the dinner last night was amazing. I'm sorry for you guys that missed it. You missed a good meal. Um, no, we're just, we're blessed. And the fact of the matter is, those are, those things are secondary to what God does, but, and he takes care of us. But I am aware that in my heart, left to being a mere man, I will, my soul will go for what is convenient. It's simple. Achan went for what was convenient. It was easy. The life of faith is pushes always comes against what is convenient because it's against my nature to trust, to depend, to be dependent, to lean on a God that doesn't need my input and doesn't need me to do anything but to yield myself to him. That's what God needs. He doesn't need a great performance. He needs me to be yielded to him. It just, it's always, it's always a little check to me when I can find that convenience is affecting my vote, my decision, my input. It's very easy to be just, this is, this is more convenient. I'm glad for the conveniences. I don't want to get up and go to an outhouse. I'm not being ridiculous, but you understand what I'm saying, that convenience is not a good metric for where our standards should be at. It has to be led of the Lord. Turn to Colossians 1. <clears throat> this is fantastic. We just have to be, it's good to be aware of the fact that we have a Father that doesn't let us just drift, hopefully, into becoming just humans that are good at what we're doing, right? He's, he's requiring more of us. In God's economy, there has got to be a growing every day. There's got to be an awakening every day. There's got to be a sowing to. And this is why God's practical. This is why I talk to my kids about the time we invest in things. Because there has to be a, a sowing to. It's not like I can work something up, but there has to be a sowing to the things of the Spirit, the things of, of faith, that I can, I can get an awareness of them. But in Colossians 1.11, this again we know very well. But this is just, again, a rehearsing of what is available to us. Uh, this is Colossians 1.11. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks to the Father, who hath made us meet to be partakers of inheritance of the saints and lights. This is current. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. It should be good news to know that we have been. We have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. It's, it's good to think about right now how I could be living, what I could be appropriating right now. Not like the future time when the Lord returns. Right now, Lord, okay, what do you have for me to be at work in right now as being in the kingdom of your dear son? What's it going to look like? I'm not sure what it's going to look like. You know, I think that there will be a redeeming of this physical earth in some way. But the fact is that there's opportunity right now, Wednesday evening, tomorrow, Thursday. There's opportunity to say, Lord, okay, you said I've been translated into the kingdom. I want to be operating as a citizen of that kingdom. I want to be moving beyond more. And this is why God makes the exterior. He, he is good at shaking the exterior to the, so that we're aware uh, of the work of the Spirit. <clears throat> I recently... Uh, was reading and then I watched a documentary of, of the story of the 13 uh, people and the uh, 12 soccer kids and their coach in Thailand that got stuck in the cave. 
I don't know if you remember that, but I remember when it happened. I remember reading about it briefly and kind of being amazed, but not really, um, not really knowing the details of it. But I just something just amazed to me about this thing. Um, you know, I think most of you are aware of the story, but as a as a brief recap, these soccer players got done with a game, and they just this cave system that they ran up to was going to be a quick one hour tour into this cave system. It's an amazing cave system, um, and they were going to run in there and explore for a minute, come back out. As they were headed to the cave, it started to rain, and unbeknownst to them, a massive monsoon was starting, and it was kind of the beginning uh, of monsoon season. Anyway, so these, these 12 you know, kids, pretty young kids, and their coach go into this cave, and they had to crawl through some very small areas you know, to these different areas, um, but it was pretty common to be, to be touring the cave, you know, exploring, uh, just not during monsoon period. Anyway, while they were in there, the rains came up, and they could not get back out of the cave. Their parents discover they're missing. They call the authorities and they come looking, looking for these kids. They're ages uh, 11 to 16, and this was in uh, 2016. Uh, anyway, these kids get trapped in this cave for days and days. I mean, they are way into this cave, and they're like 3,000 feet under the surface of this mountain where they get trapped. Anyway. The Thai, the Thai seals get called in, and they're trying to kind of keep the world from really knowing what is going on. But these, they try, and they realize they're not just diving. Something is when you go through a cave that is filled with water. It's called something, right? And um, they got Thailand's top divers, and they are trying to get through these. They cannot find, you know, these boys. They get working into more and more. They start setting up, you know, power grid lines, communication lines. You know, radio doesn't work in there. It's so the pulling string lines. Anyway. They finally start asking other nations for help and, uh, you know, military action, but they're really not letting anybody else dive into this cave except the Thai seals. Anyway, <clears throat> these two guys from England that were expert divers um, heard about this, uh, John Volenthin and Rick Stanton. Nothing to do with the Army, but they were some of the top divers in, in Britain. Um, and they realized after watching what was going on and, and hearing the reports, the Thai seals were getting shut down by currents in the cave. They had never dealt with flowing water. This was totally killing them. All their guys were trained on deep sea diving, but confined space currents, they could not figure out, they could not get through into the, into the caves. And they started concluding, this is like 11 days in, that the boys probably are totally dead anyway. Start having a regroup, you know, and they, <clears throat> the whole nation, and <clears throat> now the international world is starting to look in on this because there's 12 kids and a coach trapped in here. It's a huge deal. Anyway, they get an engineer that gets this, just uh, volunteers to uh, get up on the top of the mountain. He was a hydrologist and he starts, he realizes that we've got a number one start redirecting the water. So this hydrologist guy starts asking for volunteers and they literally get volunteers by the hundreds and they get, bring in pipe and they run out of pipe, but they've got to get all the pools in this mountain. Again, this cave is like 2,700 feet down that they're in. Um, but they are trying to redirect these pools of water that are leaking in and hydro pressuring the caves below out of there. And they start using up all the pipe. I mean, it's, it's millions of gallons of water they're diverting from this thing. But inside the cave, the water keeps rising in these places and that makes the pressure rise. They have like 10 pumps at the head of this cave trying to depressurize this thing. Anyway, it's amazing. They find this, but this hydrologist really becomes a significant factor of saving. They realize that they're gonna to have to flood these rice fields to get this water off this mountainside. So they come down and they talk with the 11 farmers whose rice fields are there and they say, hey, we're gonna ruin your crops. We don't know if this is gonna work, but can, you, can we give it a shot? And these people decide, hey, take it. And they start helping them. These guys are, they're cutting like six inch bamboo trees in half to make 
to make pipe out of because they ran out of pipe. This is incredible. Anyway, these two guys from Britain realized that they probably are the most qualified people in the world to deal with currents in underwater cave diving. So they fly over there and they just show up and they're like, hey, this is really good at this. And the Thai government right away says, well, you can be an advisory board, but the SEALs are doing everything. These guys wait for like a week trying to, trying to talk with these guys. And then one of the, one of the I'm really condensing this because I want to get to the point, but one of the Thai SEALs that is coming back from, they're diving multiple dives into this thing. <clears throat> he gets caught up in his cables. They're going through, again, very small spaces and you have to remain very calm and very controlled in the currents. And he, his gear gets messed up and he gets nervous and he, he ends up drowning in this thing and everything does come bring everything to a stop. Anyway, this guy Rick and John finally convinced these people to let them go in. They said, we just want to go in and just determine if they're alive. So I think this was, uh, yeah, this is uh, on, the, on the 2nd of July. This began on the 23rd of June. Okay, so they still haven't, no one even knows if they're alive. So they, they give these guys basically a kind of early stage of GoPros and they say, okay, you can take it as far as you can. Uh, we're not, they made them sign off in their life. You know, we'll give you support, but you go in. So these guys go in because the water was continuing to rise. And um, uh, yeah, they, they end up going through all these sumps. And he said, the further we got, the more convinced we got that they were not alive. Um, it took them like, they, they went like five hours into this cave without finding anything. Can you just imagine diving for five hours? Anyway, at about seven hours and about 1.6 miles into diving and crawling, 1.6 miles, this is mind boggling. They start smelling something in the water when they come up, you know, in, in the, in the, not in the water, in the little areas where they come up, there's little islands where they come up out of a sump and they go back in the next one. And they realize they're smelling, you know, humans. And they're thinking pretty much, you know, they've got to be dead by now. Anyway, they come up in this cave and it smells really strong and they see a light and they cannot, and the light moves. And the light runs down to the edge of the water and they just come up and there, this is all, they actually have the video of this, so you can watch it. And all of a sudden they start seeing boy after boy run down the water and all 13 people are alive in this thing is incredible. The coach had taken these boys and he, you know, he had just kept them calm the whole time. They're freezing cold. They have no food, no water. They're, they're in there. Like this has gone on for days now. It's incredible. No light. I mean, if you've ever been, you know, if you've ever been in a dark hole, I've done a few of these things and I'm not too scared of, of heights or holes, get claustrophobic, but it's just mind boggling to, 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 anyway, they come up and they cannot believe these boys are alive. And they come out and they, they come to the next rise. They, they say, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going back to tell everybody you're alive. And they, you know, we'll be back. And they, they, these boys are just amazed that, they, you know, they get each one of them talking to the camera and say their name. And they swim back out. And, but before they even get back to the public, because the Thai was about, the Thai army had a base about half a mile in where they could communicate. And they get together and they realize there is no way that we can get these boys out of here because they'll... A, a trained diver can't even keep themselves calm coming through here. So they're, they're going out and they're really pondering what they're going to say to the rest of the world. And they realize we've got to tell them they're alive and start there. So they come out and they turn the, and the whole world celebrates these people are alive. But nobody realizes but these two divers the, really the impact of trying to get them out of there. So the Navy, the SEALs, not the Navy SEALs, the Thai SEALs start making a plan and they come to them and they realize we don't have the skills to do this. These guys call four of their buddies from, um, from Britain and they come over and they're talking with them. And this guy, John, they, I mean, this is for a day. They shut the operation down because they can't figure out what they're gonna do with them. And they finally agree to let them take gear to these guys. So they start dragging. They, the, the cave they're going into, I'll just read this, 15 by 28 inches. So 15 inches by 28 inches. 
they have to, they've got tanks and gear. If any hose rips, right, it's curtains. And this is an eight-hour trip. Can you imagine diving for eight hours? And it's, it's mind-boggling. These guys, they're, just, they're trained to just stay under pressure, you know. Anyway, they drag these series of bags with, with food, high-protein food, with blankets, with lights. And they bring them to these boys. And they start doing these trips, these two divers and these boys. And they go home and they're, and they're back in their home, but in their hotel, and they're trying to figure out because they see another monsoon rain is starting to come, and they realize that the clock is ticking. So um, anyway, they are trying to figure out what they're going to do, and this guy, John, realizes that he has a friend at home that's a diver that is a doctor, and he says, I have one idea that might work. And they ask him what it is, and he said, well, let's call, I forget the guy's name, but Joel. His name is Joel Edgerton. They said, let's call Joel. Like, what do you think of him? Like, what does he do? Well, he's an anesthesiologist. And they look and they're like, no way. And he's like, any better ideas? Like, no way. So they call Joel and they say, Joel, I know you're like, you know, not top of the list. We need you to help dive. Can you come over? So Joel flies over and he's there and he's like, guys, I'm here. This is great. But he's like, I know you got four of the guys at home. They're better than me. What's the deal? So they finally sit down like, well, here's the deal. We have only one idea to get these boys out. And he said, no way. And he leaves them. He's, you guys are totally crazy. You know, no one's ever done this. And he just, he hauls off for a day that they, he can't even believe. And he goes and he starts think, realizing that to get these kids out, this is literally the only plan. But no one has ever done this. And he, they've got to keep these kids asleep and they've got to redose is, is amazing. They finally convince him after two days to just risk his life. And this is the point that I'm getting to is that this guy and these divers, they to fail, their life is going to be ruined. You know, what I mean, like they're just to fail this mission. No one has ever done this. No one's ever tried this. No one has any better ideas. And, and all they can do is offer the best thing that they have. Right. That's, and, and, and if they, likely they're going to fail. And they said, you know, well, we figured if we got one kid out, it'd be a win. But if we kill them, you know, our name is on the ticket, right? We can let them in there and they're just going to die of my natural cause. But if we drag them out anyway, they finally convince Joel that he can do this. And they go talk to the Thai government. The Thai government flips out, right? And then a couple days goes by and, and they realize there is literally no options. And so they get these guys and they get the media out of there. And everybody gets sent away from this thing. The parents get sent away. Everybody gets sent away because there's like literally 20,000 people at the head of this cave with assistance and aid. And the parents are there every day, praying every day. Everybody doesn't know why, but they send them all away. And this is top secret. So this guy gets another doctor to come over and they run a bunch of math. And it's just amazing to me because they've got to do this under pressure. And they have to find a mask for each of these kids. And they, have, they go in, they're measuring their faces, they, and they come back out. This is an eight-hour trip in, eight-hour trip out to get the rice mask for these kids, right? Anyway, and they start measuring what they need. Uh, the drug, um, uh, he says, of course, we were expecting some casualties. Uh, choosing which drugs and how much to inject was greatly challenging in itself. If the boys were given too much, their respiratory system could shut down. If they were given too little, they would wake up underwater and drown. <laughs> it's just amazing. There were three drugs, Nicholson says. There was a tranquilizer to calm them down. Then there was a drug to dry up saliva in their mouth so they didn't choke while unconscious. And then there was the anesthetic, ketamine, and it was a lot. As you can see in the documentary, the divers have to re-administer the ketamine several times because it was a, where they had to dose this, six-hour journey, and it would only keep them unconscious for one to two hours. Anyway... They go in and they tell, we're going to start with the coach to see how this goes. And they take the coach and they put all the kids at the back of this cave and they have a little discussion with the coach. And this guy takes each of the boys and he starts telling them, you know, a little story over there. And they take the coach. The coach realizes what's happening and they're going to test him. So they put him out under and each diver is responsible for one person. So they go 
They take, they take his to the next rise through the sump, and then they come back and say, it hasn't been successful. They actually tested it on somebody back, one of the Thai people they tested this on. Anyway, they are dragging this, this dead person behind them with their gas mask through all these caves and trying not to keep, you know, they had three or four instances where their hoses got hung up in the currents. Anyway, they get this coach to the, to the, and no one knows how he's come through, but they take him to the hospital. They don't tell anybody that he's through. And then they bring the second person. So it takes them about four days because every, there's only four divers. And each of these divers, they're, they keep checking on each other just for, just to, they don't stress out. But they literally take these kids and they bring them up in the sump. They check all their vitals. The doctor trains them on the spot, these other three divers. How to do all this stuff, gives them all the gear. These guys that aren't doctors are injecting to their, their carrier, right? Each of them has their own boy. And they have to re-inject this through their wetsuit every hour as they're going out. This is for eight hours. Just mind-boggling. And so they bring the, they don't even, each boy as he comes down doesn't know what is happening to the boy in front of him. The littlest boy, they could not find a mask that would fit him. It was just, and so he, they kept telling, when they first went in there, they said, you're going to be the first one out. And they test the mask and it couldn't work. So like back to the line, you know, it's the youngest boy. They don't tell him why, but the mask is not stealing around his face because they basically have to strap this thing on. Then they zip tie their hands and their feet together. <laughs> it's just astounding. Anyway, as you can imagine, they end up getting all of these boys out under aesthetic. It's just for three days, they bring these boys out for 1.6 miles of diving. It is just amazing. And they save every one of their lives. It's just astounding. No, no one lost. And they've never, no one has ever tried this before, you know? Anyway, and the coach. Everybody made it out. Um, but the point being, I just, I thought about these, watching it was astounding because these are just, if you watch the interview, these are just normal divers, but it's like the pressure on them to make a decision that was a global issue and to realize at the very best, their name is gonna be, they're just gonna be a total disaster because they have, they're the only guys that can do this. And there's, no other, there's no other people in the world trained to be able to do this and there's no other ideas. They had drilling companies in there that, tried, that thought about drilling, there's no way to get them out. Anyway, they, you know, the, the point being, they had, to, they had to operate in a completely different realm of opera, operating that was completely unfamiliar to them and they had to literally put their own life on the Every time they did this sump, each tank, they nearly ran out of tanks two times, incredible. But they got every one of these boys out by, by choosing to just operate differently than was normal. And um, obviously not all of us, you know, have a physical life in our hands every day that is, that is at risk like this. But um, I do know that the Lord uh, wakes us up to areas where we realize that we can either remain as mere man or we can start operating in a different realm of moving where, where there is uncharted territory, where there is a, a, a possibility of thinking and of speaking a different way than we have spoken before, where there's a realization that yielding to the process, right? Yielding to the process is what the work of faith is all about. Dependability controls the uh, sameness, the things that I like, the, the, the controls that I would like to have, that I know that I can count on this happening. God himself stirs things up. He's the one that's shaking everything that can be shaken to reveal in me what is actually grounded on this terra firma that isn't okay. That, that is a man operating as a mere man in this world. God is not okay with me just being a contractor or you being a contractor or a salesman or a school teacher, whatever. He is constantly shaking. He's constantly changing. He's constantly at work to, to require of us something that is beyond the resources that we have in order to have a people that realize, wow, 
There's a life available to us that we have been offered by faith, through faith, with the likes of Rahab, with the, with the likes of David, where people chose to step into a new uh, environment, a new world, translated now, not in the future, but we have the opportunity to, to operate in a different world that is the world of faith. And in the world of faith, the life of Christ flourishes. That's the environment that it is made to flourish in. Everything about the dependence and the continuity of this life that I would like is against the life of faith. And I'd like to close with one, one scripture here that is just fantastic. Uh, where is it here? 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> because there is only one, as we know, that is able to strengthen us in the inner man, that is able to transition us uh, you know, so great a salvation means more and more to me as I learn more of what the Lord is looking for because I think, man, you know, who can, who can conquer this man of death, you know? As Paul says, what, oh, wretched man that I am, you know? It's like, it's in our system. It's entwined. There's no, there's no deliverance from, there's no repairing of the man of sin. There's no repairing Gabe G to think better or to do better. God is, God is building new. God, God comes in and he says, you know what? I have put within you a life of Christ that you have opportunity right now to grow up into. And it has to be a present consciousness. He's looking for me to start thinking in a consciousness that is in the new world. That is in not a future far out thing that is, it's available to me. It, it's got to be, to be at work and to be a help to me, it has to be practical. That's what I'm realizing. It's got to work on the job. It's got to work in my truck on the road. It's got to work where I say, Lord... Thank you for arresting that thought and helping me think something different. What is eternal life? It's got to be something that's tangible to us right now. It can't be for the future. It's got to be something that's available right now. This is why you see I'm so thankful for the stories of, of Jesus, of Paul, of David. Mere men reaching in for something more. Just saying, there's more there. Lord, help me. You know, Lord, I see my unbelief. Help my unbelief. This is what you're after. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why so? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. One thing is certain. Nobody is going to come to the end of this and be like, man, I did a good job at this. <laughs> you know, I just, I was, I just, I entered in, I did the best thing and it was, you know, I accomplished it. No, you know what I did? I just, I was, I was the best at leaning on his arm, you know? I was the best at yielding. Thank you, God, that I was, I was the first to just, Stop and arrest my thoughts and say, Lord, I don't need to say this right now. I want to say something different. You can help me see this person in a different way because I'm going to wake up tomorrow and see things the same way. I've got my analysis is going to be just the same. I don't want to be stuck with that again today. Lord, you can put a new taste in my heart. And this is why I think I'm going to say it again for the young people. You've got to taste and see. You've got to start sowing. It sometimes seems real dull to start feeding on something different. It seems so religious to open my Bible and read it tonight. Maybe it's a structure at first, but start with the structure and the Lord will right. fill the structure. You have to start with some change. Yeah. Surfing on your phone every night to be the same, same to all of us adults. Our kids know where we are. Our kids know which of us are on our phones. You know, they just know it. There's an opportunity to, to reach in to something different. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, 
always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be manifest in our body. It almost seems like sacrilegious to say that we say that we can bear this about, but the fact is that God's intention is to bring about people to manifest himself. This wasn't our plan. This is his plan. Nobody is worthy. Get worthy in your mind of what God is doing. Just realize that you're worthy because you got put in the path of life. You got plucked up like Rahab and put in the family tree. Thank God for that. That's what he's doing. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might also be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in you, in us, but us, but life in you. And then down to 16. Here we go. For which cause we faint not. Do not faint in the process of the mere man being revealed. Do not faint if you feel like week 32, you've awoken to the same issues plaguing your life. Because that's, that's a part of the program to transition us into the new kingdom of faith. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Thank you, God, for that. Maybe all you can say is, Lord, this was a rough day. This has been a rough summer, This whatever, you know. But of all the things that haven't come together, of the thing that I was hoping for, whatever, okay, the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's all we can count of. I talked to Kathy the other night, and I think we're all, it's all evident to all of us that the outward man is perishing with the situation with Kathy. But looking at her countenance, you can be made aware of the fact that something else is going on, something greater, something that cannot soon be shaken. And guess what? That's all that matters. Do, do I vote for these things? Do I like? No. But do I see Mark and Kathy having been grown up in a way that is incomprehensible? Yes, I do. Do I, would I have put this on, you know, Renee's plate and everybody that's caring? No, but we don't have the chance of voting on those things. God is at work in a, in a level that is beyond. And everything of this earth is going to be shaken except for the things that cannot be shaken away. And that is the work on the inner man. What we can evidence is the fact that going on on the inside, in the unseen realm, the work of faith, it, it is not shrinking. It's not being compressed. It's actually growing. It's growing up into what it's called to be. And I'm so thankful for that. You can, if you talk with her, you see that there's, the Lord has done something that is of eternal purpose. And that, that work is what must be taking place in each of our lives we must be aware of the fact that the inner man is what God is after. Don't be discouraged by what the old man is doing. Amen? Lord, thank you for your work in our life. Thank you for your great patience, Lord, to each of us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you uh, are you're perfect in your work, Lord. You have uh, each of us in your hands, Lord, uh, like the kids in that cave, Lord. You are... Uh, able to do whatever is necessary, Lord, to bring us up into the kingdom of your Son, Lord. And we thank you that that's available to us tonight, Lord. We, we do stand by, Kathy and Mark, Lord. We strengthen them, Lord. We strengthen them, Lord, to be uh, built up by the knowledge of that work, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for uh, every uh, child here, Lord, that you are awakening to your purposes in their life, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that there be a, a, a falling upon you, Lord, in a greater way in each of our hearts, Lord, for your work. In Jesus' name. Amen.